Hey everyone, it's Stephanie, host of Books in the Freezer, just popping on here before the episode to say a few things. Normally, the podcast is about horror books. This is what would usually be an off week in between episodes. So we will be back to talking about horror books next week. Um, But this is an episode that is personally important to me. I am speaking to April and Rachel, who were recently featured in the Let Us Pray docuseries. We all grew up in the same church. Their abuser was our youth pastor. So there are some things in this episode that could be triggering to people who have suffered sexual abuse or are suffering from religious trauma. That being said, we do not rehash any details surrounding their abuse, and it is much more focused on the documentary itself, the reaction of the church when they came forward, and honestly, just how badass they were in coming forward, just the amount of bravery that it took, and seeing the effects of that bravery. So yes, there are a lot of heavy subjects that we touch upon, but there's also quite a bit of laughing because we are friends with a shared background in this whole IFB culture. So thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast usually dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I am joined by April Avila and Rachel Peach, who were recently featured on the Investigation Discovery documentary miniseries, Let Us Pray. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Stephanie. So excited. (laughs) Taking a break from fictional horrors to delve into real life horror, truly. True crime. (laughs) Very true crime. (laughs) Also, we all know each other. Yes, actually, Stephanie and I were in high school together. She was in college. And college. (laughs) Steph was class of 09, and I was class of 10. (laughs) And you're an honorary member of class of 2009 you came to our reunion I did I crashed class of 09's 10-year reunion because I was not invited to mine (laughs) Uh, why not um well a certain someone was organizing things and he is was really or is related uh to the pastor so that didn't work out great (laughs) In April, I know you were like a little older than me, but I do remember you. Yeah. No, I remember you. Uh, was my brother in the same class as you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit older. The documentary gets into a lot of stuff around IFB, but specifically survivor stories. And both of yours were featured on the second episode. I mean, the documentary aired, what was it, like a week or two ago? Like, what has that been like for you? Personally, I feel like I can finally take a breath because when the documentary came out, we were watching it for the first time with everybody else. And so there was so many nerves going into that because you have no idea what you're going to see or how your story is going to be portrayed. And I felt like our director, Sharon Lee, did an incredible job telling all of our stories and now it's just kind of this weird feeling like in the beginning I'm like oh this is just like a fun cute little podcast we're doing and like no one's gonna watch this and then it's like streaming on HBO Max is a very like oh wait like this is this is a really big deal um so yeah it's 
I'm I still feel like it hasn't really set in that like what we participated in was a, a really big deal and very important. Um, and also something that has like from our circle anyways has never been done before. Yeah. And that is it's a lot of pressure because I felt like the closest thing we had was shiny happy people on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime just because it was very similar beliefs but still the names involved and even like I don't know some of the beliefs involved weren't like exactly like us so it was relatable in a way but it was still like it's that wasn't our circle though so then to have one drop like for the first time ever with these names and faces that we have known and heard since we were children is Mm -hmm. that I think that was the craziest part like with it opening up with certain people's voices oh my gosh yeah and how jarring and triggering that was but it was like the whole time I just kept saying I can't believe this is on my tv like this is on my tv right now this is wild (laughs) that's just I don't think people really grasp like, no, you don't understand They like we would ask these people to sign our Bibles and like we looked up to these people and these were like our gods and celebrities and being able to just watch like the whole thing crumble down in front mm-hmm. of our eyes was like, oh, I'll never forget that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> What's it been like for you, April? Like Rachel, I feel like the same thing. I think there's so much anticipation. But you don't, it's something you don't have a basis for because I've never been on a documentary before. So I just had no idea. I didn't know if it was going to be wild, like a uh, lawsuit. Like we, I, I've done that. So I'm like, okay, I kind of know what to expect there or the criminal investigation. I just had nothing to base it on. And so we were really hyped. I know they had talked to us like, you know, you have to be prepared. Uh, you know, people may recognize you in the streets. You know, this could go really big. You could be on magazines. And then you kind of, you don't you just have this really wide span of expectations from this might totally flop and nobody watches it to like we could be on the cover of magazines and so when it came out um you're juggling the emotions of like rachel said seeing this for the first time we we didn't we knew what we filmed but we didn't know what it would be like all put together and we knew that there was a lot of other people involved and we just didn't know how that would you know be put against our stories and like how they would you know piece it all together so anyways when we sat down I had a watch party I was sitting there watching it in real time with people who had you know they weren't involved with it so it was I don't know I I had no I did not know what to expect so it's been it's been crazy it you know it's been I feel like it's been growing even more as the 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 weeks have gone on. Um, there's been things coming out, you know, blogs are being written. It's kind of catching up. People are starting to talk about it more and it's been really exciting. So it's, it's been a ride. That's for sure. It has been at your watch party. Were there any people that didn't grow up in fundamentalism or that weren't familiar, like hearing this type of stuff for the first time? Yes. And that was, that was, that was the, that was the crazy part because, um, my husband's cousin was there and her, boyfriend is not even super religious but definitely had no connection to IFB (laughs) and legit in the middle of one part he started like hyperventilating he's like I gotta go outside I gotta have a smoke and I'm like I didn't even know you smoked and he was just he could not believe it he especially like things like the goldfish he's like that that can't be real people didn't really eat goldfish and I'm like uh yeah they did and I mean there was just things he just he kept on saying no that that can't be that can't be allowed. That can't be legal. People do that. So it was very interesting to see it through the eyes of somebody who had no idea what IFB was, no experience with them. It's so funny. I had no idea the goldfish thing was so like crazy to people. I <laughs> it know. is We're so, so numb to it. <laughs> but I guess it's animal cruelty. Yes. So it truly is. It truly is. So, so for people that haven't seeing the documentary and are just tuning in we would go bus calling and invite people to go on a bus and we would have like goldfish sunday where everyone that came got to take home a goldfish and to add extra incentive we would say that one of the lady workers would swallow a goldfish on the bus (laughs) did you guys ever do that yes stephanie i did it with you yeah i'm like i (laughs) 
<laughs> I forgot. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so Stephanie and I were on the same bus route in college. It was required you had to serve on a bus, which went around every Sunday to pick up children. When I say we served on a bus route, <laughs> that means serving. we went and saw one kid... <laughs> Spent maybe 10 minutes there and then hung out with boys the whole afternoon. <laughs> but we got our time in. <laughs> and did you we write did. it down on your pass sheet like that you were out stoning for like six hours? That's Absolutely, we did. <laughs> of course, it was taped to my dorm floor door. <laughs> I, April, I was telling her, we uh, one year really wanted to go see the St. Patrick's Day parade. <laughs> in Chicago um, and not go bus calling. So we convinced the guys on our route to pick us up from college and you are not allowed to be in a car with boys. Mm -mm. Um, so we hid in a bush on <laughs> campus and they drove by really slowly and one of them leaned over and opened his door and we jumped into a moving car <laughs> and had to like hide <laughs> but had the best day in chicago it was so much fun <laughs> oh man the best parts of college were being bad <laughs> oh i'm sorry getting sidetracked <laughs> has the reception to the documentary surprised you like have there been people that came out in support of it that you were not expecting to hear from oh that's a good question um for me personally but i'm not as controversial as rachel rachel had that the bad girl vibe <laughs> um for me no not really i mean there's a couple of people you kind of i feel like my religious i don't have a lot of super religious friends left um those are the people that are big kind of quiet and then they'll post like in the background like hey supporting you and i'm like i see your facebook you didn't post anything but we we gotta let people do their own thing um so there's a few people like that that i thought you know sometimes there's people that talk a lot and then don't kind of follow up in it on action but i would say overwhelmingly for me it's been positive i mean i i don't have a social media presence or anything but everybody who has reached out to me has been really awesome and super supportive and so I've had overwhelmingly positive um, interactions uh, Rachel had some has a more exciting life than I do though so. Rachel have you had negative reactions to this um yeah so I have made some quite the fans that are just watching my every move and just can't get enough of me <laughs> um Fan no behavior. I did have to threaten someone with a defamation lawsuit um and we are actually still looking in if that's a possibility <laughs> um uh, but I will say I feel like I I had this weird experience though where I have had an overwhelmingly um, feeling of support from people and just like people reaching out or I don't know, even things on Twitter I've seen about like, oh my goodness, like I can't believe Bruce Goddard would do this or that. Like, it's just horrible. I can't believe this. And I did have this sh weird feeling in myself. Like I've been telling you this for five years now. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I appreciate the support. I love it all. I'm, I'm, I don't want it to come across as complaining, but it, it did have this feeling like that's what it took for you to believe me. Like I've been telling you how horrible he is and how horrible the situation was. Like I thought the arrests and the lawsuits and all that would have painted a pretty clear picture of the man that he was. But for some reason it didn't get that across until you see it on screen. I don't know. That was just me being picky though, that I had this feeling of like, wait so you didn't believe me before but now you do I don't know it was weird <laughs> I do think too like I've noticed like there's definitely you know you have your groups of people there's like the people who are IFB people who have left IFB and their reactions versus people who are IFB adjacent or never been in IFB so like the people who have no connection to IFB are overwhelmingly positive they're like you know you guys are amazing I I've had people reach out from um, my work who had never heard of First Baptist, and I've had people reach out from 
you know, just online, they see the video and they want it or the documentary and they want to reach out and they've been overwhelmingly supportive and positive. And even kind of like people who are, you know, IFB adjacent or grew up in religious settings. So they kind of understand that even though they don't understand the IFB culture, but they can relate to purity culture and all that. They have been overwhelmingly positive. The people that have come from IFB, that's, it's funny enough, that's where the mixed bag of reactions are from extremely, like, it's about time somebody has talked about this to like, you know, not all IFB are bad. And it's funny. So the closer you get to IFB, that's where you start getting like, I mean, there are some people who are, I mean, probably they're just like, it's the first time anybody's validated their experience. And that is really amazing when those messages come in and they're saying, you know, finally somebody's hearing me, somebody believes me, I'm able to show people like, this is the world I grew up in and I have this evidence for it. And then you have some people who are like, well, you know, you know, it's not all bad. You know, there's still some things that they're doing good in this world, which is weird coming from people who should be able to see it more clearly than others. So that's been kind of my experience too, with like people talking and reaching out. I do think a thing that the the documentary did really well is really prove how systemic this is. I'm happy that you took that away because I I was hoping that point came across strong enough and I'm happy that you picked up on that that they painted a very clear picture of this wasn't just an accident or a mistake. It was so intentional and so calculated and it I'm happy that I'm happy you said that. Yeah. I mean, that just goes back to like people saying like, oh, well, not my church. It's like, but it could happen because of the way it's set up. Or also when I hear people say like, well, that's never happened in my church. How do you know that? Yeah. How do you know it never happened? Maybe we were all in- was silenced. Exactly. I'm like, we were in faith for how long? And I mean, obviously, I mean, April and I were told about Kathy. Nobody else was. I didn't know. Nobody knew that. Exactly. So it's like that. That's that's a very naive thing to say, like, well, it never happened in my church. But you don't know that. <laughs> yeah, you don't know who worked there before, who was maybe shuffled off in the middle of the night to another state. Exactly. So I, I just think that's a really dumb excuse to say, well, it never happened here. Well, you don't know that. No. Was there stuff that you had recorded for the documentary that didn't make it to air? Uh, well, April's and mine's interview was probably four hours. Oh my gosh. Four and a half hours, maybe. And our airtime or whatever of telling that story was, I don't know, maybe eight minutes, if that. And so um, it it was just a very like quick, condensed version. I was just saying this on... Um, I... I do wish that they would have been able to include how many victims our abuser Victor had because on screen it only looked like he had two and in the police report almost 13 girls I think around 12 or 13 girls um talked with the police and I I wish that they would have been able to show what a monster he really was because I mean one is bad enough two is plenty <laughs> yeah and but it really shows like how he he was not going to stop unless he stopped and his entire career there working as a youth pastor he was abusing girls and I wish that that point would have been made a little more clear but that's just my own selfish reasons oh wow so I mean not to pry so like timeline wise between April and you there was also women that came forward from that in between time so it was like the whole time he was there it's yeah pretty yes. much when we there's not a year he was not yeah. using a girl there oh was God. not a year we you just from people who came forward and talked to us there was not a year that and he was there almost 20 almost 20 years yeah it was right around 19 years that he was there oh my god yeah and so there wasn't a year and that is you know i never minimize abuse but those were like the actual people that went forward. There was even more than that, that came forward. And, you know, personally that said, Oh, you know, he was inappropriate or he said this, or he sent this email or, you know, he was really fishing for something with these letters. So there was even more than that, that just came forward with personal experiences. 
Yeah. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. I had people reach out to me that knew him in high school that had experiences with him. There was people uh, allegedly <laughs> from City Baptist in Indiana when he was a college student there and they were high school students and that were what's happening with him. And this was a problem before he was ever even hired as a youth pastor there. He had already had victims before he was ever even hired. Oh my God. Yes. <sighs> and this was like on record, like known and just ignored. I I mean, I can't I mean, say yes or no to that. Um, okay. But I mean, when while everything was coming out, I had multiple people from when he was growing up in Quail Valley and something happened with him when he was in Indiana as a college student and with high school kids there. He definitely had an age range that he preferred. Oh, my God. And it just carried on as soon as he became youth pastor and that never stopped. And even after he was switched to another church, it never stopped there. And even after he left that church, it never stopped there. He was never going to stop. I'll just say, like, there was, I don't think there was one woman that when what came out about Victor publicly came out that said, oh, I'm so surprised. I, I will no. say, like, maybe hardcore IFB protectors, yes you know, protecting Faith Baptist, protecting Bruce Goddard, but teenage, teenage women or teenage girls, um, women, people who had grown up around him, nobody was surprised. Like they said, oh, that makes sense. It was all the men that said, oh, gosh, we never saw anything. Surprise. But it was never the women that were, they, they said, yeah, that makes sense. I, I believe you. I feel like it was a thing that was noticed, though, that he was very handsy, like wrestling with the girls. I remember hearing some of the teen guys joke about like, oh, yeah, weird that he makes like house calls and visits all the girls in the youth group, that that's something he like really takes time to do. Because it was true. Yeah. <laughs> like, he came to my house. Like, it's just like what he did. How familiar were you with the other survivors before this film? Like, did you hear about them or had you been in contact before any of this not no we all basically met each other like ruthie and amanda and nanette we met because of the documentary yeah i knew of amanda through social media um i you know i had seen her tiktoks and stuff so she was somebody i just i knew of her presence online and everything um but ruthie and Gaylord, that group, I had not met and I didn't really know much about um, before the documentary. And then um, Nanette was more kind of like a, a, not a rumor, but something you kind of just heard yeah. in the background. So as soon as she began to talk about her story, I said, oh, okay, I can put these things together. I, I'm able to put this story together. I know who you are. But uh, the documentary was the first time I had met her face to face. Uh, and it was because of the documentary we got to meet eric oh, had you not met before no no it was all online just yeah we only knew each other just through instagram and like the podcast and stuff but we met like in person um actually at faith <laughs> while we walked up for a protest <laughs> i know my sister was like i met him when i was there no, and it's so funny because Eric, like, at, like it was like I felt like I went to high school with him or something. Like he, he was a rival first... high school. He was, and I kind of forgot about that. But like, I don't know. It was like I've always known him, even though I just met him. But I feel like when you come from our world, like I don't know, you you feel like you just get each other because yeah. of the background. There is a shared level of understanding. There. Yeah, there definitely is. So was that protest at Faith the first thing that was filmed with like all of you guys together or filmed at all? Um no, so we filmed our our interview. Interview first and then the next morning is when right April? Yeah, the next morning. The next morning is when we showed up at Faith and it wasn't I don't think they were even planning on doing that. It was like we at first they just wanted to do like a photo shoot kind of thing for like cover photos or something 
And then it kind of turned into something more like, well, we could make signs. And then it was like, why not just, you know, if we're going to be there, like go there to protest it. So then I think like I tech, I don't have that many local friends anymore, but like I text a couple people that I knew of and was just like, tell anyone, you know, so then it kind of grew into this, like, wait for real, like, is this actually happening? So like Daniela came, Ray came, Alexis came, and then it just kind of got bigger from there. And it like actually turned into something like very empower empowering and very beautiful. Like, I don't know, people that I've just that's just showing up for you. It it meant a lot. And like there was so many like we first see each other and be like, oh my god, I haven't seen you in so long. And then like a hug, and then we're both crying. And it's like, oh, this is like such a horrible reason why we're all here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was it was a very it was a cool experience. Yeah. I know in the documentary they show someone driving by and saying, Go home, but did you see like other church people drive by? And oh, yeah. That was like one guys? of probably five or six people that said that. Yeah. And that was that was not just one person. We planned it to because when they were talking about like let's do this photo shoot and everything um we were the ones were like well they have saturday soul winning at this time like let's show up at the same time that they're doing their soul winning so we decided to do that time because we knew that people would be coming to the church so people drove by there was people who laughed at us um there was a couple people who kind of covered their face they didn't want to look at us there was some very aggressive people and then there's people that just you know they stood outside and they were watching us and uh we could see them from the office building you could see people just standing inside the office building watching us but they knew we were there before you know they saw us setting up and everything and then um again i love how the network everybody knows somebody who knows somebody but uh, bruce goddard sent out a text message to the church people saying you know there's people out there who are you know causing problems or whatever you don't have to come if you don't want and of course that person sent it to somebody else who sent it to us and and it got right back to us so we had the text message and saw you know saw what was going on behind closed doors so sticking to his plan of cowardice and avoidance yep he tried to <laughs> try to get off the back property like go all the way down but Rachel, you were one of those people, right? We were running with the whole camera crew, like down there. No, I you. didn't. Kathy ran down. I didn't run down, though. Oh but it was like, it's such a, it, that was such a crazy feeling, though, because, I mean, we spent how many years on that property? Like, literally every single day of our life for yeah. our entire youth, plus some. And it's like, I know every square inch of that entire property where we were standing in front of those gates, there was like one part of the gate that's bent in because I accidentally, when I was parking, ran my truck into it <laughs> and the, the bent is like still there. And so it's like, it was like such a strange feeling of like, I have this memory of learning to drive in this parking lot and I parked the car, over parked it and bent the fence right there. But now I'm on the other side. Because of everything that happened and you're yelling at me to go home when it's like I gave you so many years of my life and you couldn't give a shit about it. Like that was a very emotional feeling yeah. and recognizing faces that are pulling in that I'm like, I was in your Sunday school class. I was in your English class. <laughs> I, if you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> I went through, like I, I did I know you, you know me, like, you know, my family, I know your family, I know your kids, like, and this is you could not give a shit. And it was a very emotional mo uh, moment, because the house right across the street from the church, um, I think it's been the same family there the entire time. And he saw what we were doing, and he came out. So we got a little nervous that he was going to be upset, because some of the camera crew would have to like, when there's a car coming back up so that they get out of the street so they'd be in his yard. So then I was like, I feel like we should talk to him. Like, so he knows everything's fine. So I ran over there real fast. I do wish this part would have got included because it was a very cool moment. And um, I was like, Hey, I'm like, if, if you don't want us in the yard, just tell us, I'm like, we're not looking to cause problems. We're not looking for trouble or anything. I was like, it, we're, um, shooting a documentary and we're just here for a peaceful protest everything's fine and he goes no I just want to know what you're protesting 
and I said, so I don't know if you saw, but there has been some sexual um, abuse issues that come out of this church and um, we're the survivors of it. And he goes, yeah, I remember because Tony Chen was here <laughs> from Channel 4 or whatever. He's like, I remember when the news was outside and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I, I heard all about that. He's like, it was the youth pastor or something. Right. And we're like, yeah. And I said, so I'm a survivor of him. She's a survivor of him. I'm like, I'm sure there's like three other girls around here <laughs> that are all survivors of him. And I said, and the church did absolutely nothing about it and continues to do absolutely nothing about it. I said, so we're filming about it, you know, and we wanted to come here and just make our presence known that we're not going away. And he's like, good, don't go away. And he's like, I've lived here for 20 something years. I don't remember what he said. And he goes, I don't agree with one thing that place does. And he goes, if you want to park in my front yard, you can come on in. If you need to use the bathroom, get a drink. He said, I will support anything you're doing against that church. And like, oh. I, as he was saying it, I started getting really emotional because it was like, I don't know you. You're a total stranger. And you're showing me the support I've been dying for this whole time. And like, he can tell I was getting emotional. So I just went in and I gave this man the biggest hug and we just like squeezed each other, like crying, emotional. And he was like, I appreciate every single one of you. He's like, don't, he's like, do anything you can to take him down, do anything you can. And so then like, then all the camera crew, like set up all their stuff in the front yard. <laughs> and he's like, if they tell you to get off the sidewalk, come right over here, leave your signs right here. So everyone sees it when they pull out. Like it was such a crazy experience that like these people that have known me since I was nine years old yeah. could not give a fuck about me right now. This stranger across the street is showing me the support and love that I've been dying for. And that was wild. <sighs> yeah. Just that absolute contrast and people that have known you since you were a child, a literal child. <laughs> <gasps> The driving around parts with like Kathy, like going to look at her stuff, was that around that same week then? It was. The it was same all day. within three days. Oh wow! Yeah. So we did. It was. Yeah. It was a. It was pretty intense. So we were, and it pretty much stayed in Wildebarf, which the um, where we filmed, where we were sitting in the office, is the retirement home right behind Winsong. Like the, the church would go there and have like. Um, services it's like right behind Winsong so I could like see my old I'm like hey that's where I used to live so that was right there but we drove around Wildemar and um we did some filming and we were all in the back seat and there was this massive camera like you can't see anything and they're all just like stuck in the front seat with this huge camera um but we did that and then we um we went and saw Tony that's in like Del Snore but I think that was about like we kind of stayed in that area they did um we did some filming by the lake. They wanted us to get in the lake, and all all the Calif all the Wildemar girls were like, "Ew!" No. Like Elsinore? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If they don't know that though, like, they're like, "Oh, it's so beautiful." We're like, "No." <laughs> from the yeah, from the uh, Ortegas. Yeah, it looks great. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, because I was gonna say, like, how did it feel being back in Wildemar? Because I don't. Neither of you have like family there anymore. I forgot how much I don't miss it. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that way for a while, though. Like, it was so nostalgic until you go back and you're like, I definitely romanticized it more than it was. Like, this is not it. <laughs> and maybe because I don't know anybody there anymore. So I don't have anyone to be excited to see. Yeah. But I don't know. But three days was long enough literally by like day three i'm like okay get me out of here i'm i'm done <sighs> yeah did they do any filming at hiles like was that something they talked about doing or like filming outside i mean i guess they did get a few shots well, i'll let like, april answer that one because what they said to april was pretty funny no so they did they actually did a lot of filming at my house um so they were here with jamie hiles and then they came out with nanette they did filming at the church with Nana and Jamie Hiles. And then Jamie Hiles was at my house for a couple hours. Um, so there was a whole part of that, which I think is in the podcast. They talk, uh, Eric's new podcast. They were talking about like why they didn't include that in this documentary, but anyways, they were there. And then there, um, there was a couple guys, younger guys, uh, you know, like bearded and like they kind of were like longer hair and shorts and stuff. And they're like, oh, we're going to go to Hiles Anderson and get some 
some footage and they're like we're gonna like just sneak into the college and like blend in with the college students i was like dude like there is no way you're they'll see you from no. a mile away like, they're, yeah you're not gonna blend in anywhere so i mean they had tattoos and everything i'm like yeah no okay so it was beyond like not passing hair check <laughs> yes no yeah also for like, listeners um male students at hiles anderson had to get their hair checked weekly um in chapel they had to like stand in a line and a staff member would look and see if their hair was touching their ear and if their hair ever got to the point where it was touching their ear they would not pass hair check and like would they get demerits i don't even remember yeah demerits and did they have to immediately go cut their hair yeah like Like, immediately random scissors or shaver whatever they call it (laughs) (laughs) just like go to town no beards they couldn't have beards so if they had no. like stubble they had to shave that too but you know what we should not be sitting here complaining about what the men had to go through oh my <laughs> god they had it so easy we are not jaded by that whatsoever <laughs> yeah nanette's story was so emotional to listen to i cannot believe she went to first baptist like that is like i was getting nervous watching her walk in there like I felt my heart rate go up I know (laughs) and honestly I think the response to portray how IFB handles things Mm -hmm. couldn't have been I mean perfect sounds weird but it is exactly it epitomizes like how like that handles like we're gonna call the police but we love you (laughs) like that is it's literally how it's how it works like it's just Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, well, yeah, she's conformed. She's like, I'm a victim. And she's like, yeah, we know who you are. Yeah. We, we know all about you. We called the police. They're on their way. Yeah. Just like so cold. Yes. And then ending it all with an I love you. Ugh. Oh, my God. And then I know you talked about your pretext phone call already on like <laughs> other stuff. But I remember <laughs> hearing you talk about it. I think it was on Eric's podcast. And I don't know if it was the way it was edited, but it seemed like the most stressful thing. Because weren't you coming up on the like statute of limitations? Like you were on a real big time crunch to get that information. So lucky me with my crimes didn't have a statute of limitations. (laughs) Um, But I knew that that was really that. So if we didn't get that pretext, we didn't have a case. Like that was basically it. And um because at that point he had known that april was the one that had come forward so he's not going to talk to her and um her situation was in what had statute of limitations on it and so um yeah it it really was like i had so much pressure that it was like yeah if you don't get this um can't really do much for you so like we need to figure this out (laughs) so I, I knew that like, this is my job, I have to do it. And I also did feel like I knew him well enough that I knew what could get his attention, and could get him to talk. And it definitely, definitely worked. And I don't think he, so this is the other part that and I don't want to like, speak for her. And I'm not going to say her name, because she, I don't think really wants to be public with this anymore. But there was three of us that um, pressed charges and stuck through through prosecution and all that. So it was April, myself, and then one other girl. I did my pretext call, and two days later, she reaches out to me and lets me know that she came forward. Um, and so I'm like, okay, now I know there's another girl in this. And she goes, they want me to do a pretext phone call. And I'm like, oh, well... I'm sorry to tell you, but like, I just did one. So I know that he has to be on edge now. He's not going to answer the phone. And I said, but you should definitely still try, but like, don't get your hopes up in case it doesn't work out. And she was like, okay. And I did tell her though, like, it was probably best we not communicate that much at the time because I just, we didn't want it to look like, I don't know. We wanted to, yeah, we wanted to have a good case. Um, A couple of days later, she calls me and she goes, uh yeah so I got the call I was like what do you mean and she's like I called him and I'm like and and she's like I got everything (laughs) he answered the phone not just for me but for her two days later and was on the phone again with her for like an hour 
admitting to everything everything and i i mean the way that she did hers like it it our our case was as airtight as it possibly could have been because he admitted to crimes in the past and then he was still willing to recommit those crimes and that day yes yes And so when I hung up with him, I was like, I don't want to hear from you again. You know, like the past is the past. Let's leave it there. Delete everything. Like, I'm never going to tell anyone. It's going to the grave. He's like, okay. (laughs) And like, we went, made him think we went our separate ways. When he answered the phone with her, it was, when can I see you again? Yeah, he's trash, complete trash. So as soon as we got that call, we got the warrant within like not even a couple of days. What was it like seeing him have to face this evidence? Was there any acknowledgement at all? Because I feel like no, nothing no. at all. Nothing. No. He, he shook his head. Like when we were giving our impact statements, he was shaking his head. No, like, no, Um, he, he wouldn't look at he us. He even started laughing. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. In his mind, this never happened. Or if it did, it was our fault. That was actually one thing. So in the, when he was interrogated, when he was first arrested, um, he literally made a line to the detective where he, the detective goes, these girls, it sounds like they were wanting help. And he goes, yeah. And they wouldn't leave me alone. And he goes, no, but it sounds like they had some issues that you knew about and you use that to your advantage. And he was like, that's because they're messed up. They were so messed up. They wouldn't leave me alone. Like in hit that's in his mind. That was something that I really struggled with. Cause I'm like, I don't understand how anyone could ever think or say something like that. And he was like, that's a good thing. You don't understand that. You yeah. don't want to understand the way he thinks because that means you're like him and you don't want to be like that. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. But actually, I don't think this tea has been spilled. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so saying that he is and I don't I don't want this to come across as he was saying sorry because he wasn't. So when he was interrogated, when it finished, he was asked, um, do you um how do you want to fix this? Do you want this to just go away? He was like, of course, like I like I didn't mean to do any of this. It wasn't like that. And he goes, well, then how about you do this? How about you write each of these girls an apology letter and you tell them you're sorry and what specifically you're sorry for? And he goes, and I can just give it to them and then we'll see if they'll just let this go away. And he was like, do you think it will, they'll take it? And he's like, of course they'll take it. And he's like, just here's a notepad, write down how sorry you are and what you did to them. He's like, okay. And he leaves the room and he wrote each of us an apology letter. I know that's not an apology because in his mind, he thinks if I say these words, this will get me out of what I'm doing. So he wasn't doing it because he had any remorse. He was doing it because he's a fucking idiot and thought he could get away with it. But then the DA also had it in his writing (laughs) what specifically he did to each of us. And he had a lot to say in those letters. So... So yeah, quite the case. It was, yeah, it was the easiest case we could have ever had. (laughs) It was the most complicated and easiest case we could have ever had. (laughs) I cannot believe that. (laughs) I did want to ask, because we were in college when the Jack Scop stuff happened. Did you ever connect that to you or think, like, you know, seeing someone who was in that position, like, face time and face the consequences of their actions? Did you ever think like maybe one day I'll come forward? No, it was the opposite no. for me. <laughs> no, no, no. I I was scared the shit out of me. Yeah, that was so bad. I I remember because I wasn't in college, and by that time, I was expecting my second child. And I remember just sitting in the church, watching like everything go down, and I thought I will never come forward because this is how it just solidified in my mind. This is how they treat victims in the church, and. I don't want to put myself through this. I saw how 
the teenage girl um, was treated by like adult men who were writing letters by other women who wrote letters. I was asked to write a letter for Jack Scott, but I was like, no, it was, it was just horrible. And I, I was like, I will never ever speak out about what happened to me because no way I'm putting myself through that. Yeah. Wow. That was such a, yeah. And we were in college at the same time when that happened stuff. And I feel like I just remember even hearing like some of our peers or even like some of the guys and stuff talk about just talk about the victim in the most horrible, awful way. And everyone felt so bad for like, I remember everyone changed their profile pictures. Do you remember that? To pictures with, with him? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I definitely remember that, that like so many people changed their profile pictures to him. Oh my God. That unlocked a memory right now yes oh my god and like it was so messy of like watching this like so you're telling me and it was also this like I feel like people don't understand like we were 18 19 at the time but mentally it was like we were still children (laughs) like the like fundy brain is so like delayed truly (laughs) it is it really is (laughs) And, um, and so I'm, I'm not thinking like the average 18 or 19 year old, like, it's like, I'm still, I don't know. And I was also watching all this, like you're, I'm hearing the things he's being accused of. And Victor literally did the same exact thing. And this guy's going to jail for it. And everyone's freaking out. Like it was this realization of like, I think that was like a bad thing that happened. Like if I tell anyone about this, something really bad is going to happen. I don't know. It was a very messy time in the head at that time. It it was. And yeah, April, I wasn't like Rachel and I weren't there for like the immediate aftermath because it was during the summer. So I think by the time we went there in the fall, they had kind of like have someone new in charge, you know, and they had their like planned statements for what to say. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, the news was there. You're, you're trying to go to church. Um, <laughs> you know, you got your Bible and you walk up and there's news outside and, you know, it was a mess. And then, and there was enough, like I had friends at other churches. I had a friend at the church where Jack Scott had been sent to recoup from his illnesses. But so I'm hearing things from her, um, and then I'm hearing things from Eddie Lapina in the pulpit. And I'm thinking those two don't, that doesn't line up. And there, there was so much of that going on where you realized at some point, like these people are lying to you. Like this is, um, there is a, they're, they're covering it up in real time and you're watching it happen and the stories aren't adding up. And it was such a mess. And I mean, anybody who had been there for Jack Scop, the Jack Scop era, um, there was, you, a lot of, I don't know, my age group, millennial age group, had put like a lot of hopes onto Jack Scott. Like, oh man, this is the guy who's going to change IFB. Yeah. He's going to make it different. He's different than the old IFB. This is ushering in the new IFB. And it really knocked my world out from underneath me, like within my community, because literally overnight, I mean, the church went from what, what was it at that time? Like seven, 8,000 people. And hundreds of people were leaving. I mean, I had friends that just sold their houses that summer and left the area. And wow. so it was, it was a very bizarre time. It was not a good time at all. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember his like, um, <laughs> didn't Jack Scott had like just put in like an office at the college and then they're like yes. carrying out his like <laughs> portrait, just acting like he was never there. <laughs> They literally turned that office into like an embassy suite. Like it was so over the top bougie for and for what? Like that was so unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. In April, I was telling Rachel before, and like, so did your dorm floor have that too? Because we, like, that fall, our dorm supervisor was collecting money to buy Jack Scop's wife. Starbucks cards because she was sad that nobody was giving her Starbucks cards anymore. Oh. And she was having to pay for her own Starbucks out of pocket. And I'm like, I I have to look at my bank account to like 
buy food on the weekends. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. let me feel sorry for you and your Starbucks right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh But that is like the audacity of like the audacity of IFB. Uh, I mean, this is like a leap in a, you just unlocked a memory so you can totally cut this if you want. But when everything went down at Faith, um, Bruce Goddard went to my dad. So I've just, you know, I'm not just to my parents. That was like seven months, but this, like the shit hit the fan and everything's, the church is all, you know, hearing it from the first time and everything. And everybody's just, you know, shocked and all this stuff. And, um, Bruce Goddard went up to my dad, who's, you know, father of a victim that just came forward and asked him to set up a uh, security detail to protect, protect him Oh my God. Uh, from, from newscasts. And I was like, oh man, there, I mean, I wish I had like a fraction of the audacity that these men have, because I mean, I literally could start You'd my be own. unstoppable with their I'd delusion. Be unstoppable. <laughs> yes. I, I could start my own cult or something, but I'm like, dude, like, how do you ask parent of a victim to like protect you and you're the reason like you're the reason you need protecting anyways and you want uh, anyways it's so bizarre like starbucks cards all that stuff yeah i wish i had that audacity but the absolute disconnect Uh, but i don't know i know a lot of people feel hesitant to use the word cult with ifb i don't (laughs) not me it's a cult (laughs) Uh, if the shoe fits yeah I don't know I guess if you've lived in it you're kind of like no it's a cult it's a cult yeah I mean I was just looking yeah it just fits everything you look at the bite model and it is like a four for four yes exactly (laughs) yeah what are your hopes for this documentary and people that see it people that are in it people that are in IFB or not aware of it like do you have like bigger hopes of things that can come from this from this exposure and this opportunity wait I'm gonna quote Rachel right now what did you say burn it all down or something (laughs) (laughs) um that's from the documentary just in case it's like Rachel's iconic line in there so uh yeah I don't for me like just even today I had like the craziest afternoon today um, because I, there was a local news person who posted about the let us pray and got a crazy amount of comments. And then he decided to take it down because I don't know, he was getting uncomfortable with things. He was made to feel uncomfortable and he decided to take the post down. And I was like, it just makes you feel so frustrated because you're looking at this church that still holds this power over the community in Hammond and so today after work so that happened while I was at work I literally get on work and I'm like you know what I'm going to the police and so I drove to the police station today what (laughs) yeah I did and just casually yeah I was like (laughs) I'm gonna go talk to them so I went to the police station I was like hey um I'm April I don't know if you've heard about let us pray and they're just kind of looking at me I said I'm a victim of the uh, you know the IFB um and they're like oh oh my goodness that was amazing and I'll just say all they all knew the they all knew about the documentary they're like yeah we've heard about it so anyways uh they're like they're like how can we help you and I was like I want to do a protest they're like we support you and everything they're like you need to go down to city hall and get permission so I drove down to city hall and I went into city hall and then they're like yeah no we support you so yeah, you, you have the green light to do it. And then I was like, awesome. So then I was walking out and I walked right by um, the city planning office. I was like, you know, what the heck? I'm here. So I went in and asked them if we could get the uh, the sign that was named after Hiles, the street sign taken down. And they're like, yeah. So n- tomorrow I'm, they're like, well, call the mayor. So tomorrow I have a, a call with the mayor's office. So that was kind of random. But all that to say, it was like, I... Like if like literally the more exposure, like if we can empower voices, if we can, there are so many people reaching out to me that are saying, this is the first time I've come forward. 
this documentary uh, makes me feel seen and heard. Um, I want to share my story. Some people are like, I'm not ready to share my story. I've had several people say, um, this is, um, this is the first time I've had this conversation with my family and we've, we're having hard conversations where I'm saying like, you need, this is a reckoning, um, you, you know, to people who have family still in IFB. If that's like, if I walk away from the documentary and there's more voices that feel safe to come out, they feel like there's a community for them when they come out, I will feel, um, that that is enough for me. If I can, I don't know if I will be able to shut down Faith Baptist. I don't know if I will be able to shut down First Baptist, but I know that there's somebody out there that will be able to, or if there's enough voices that come forward. Um, I think eventually, and you know, like we will be able to have enough people come together that I think we will make a big difference that maybe someday some of these abusive institutions will be shut down or at least become less powerful. And I think if that would happen, that would, I would be, I'd be very happy with that. I think my answer would be, and I agree with everything April said, and I like that what we did made it to where there is absolutely no reason and no excuse to ever cover or excuse any kind of abuse in churches. And we painted a picture so loud and clear that this might've been how it was back in the day. And this might've been the thinking that you guys had for so long, but we're done with it and it's not going to happen anymore. And I feel like any, if you even dare attempt a cover up, the resources that we have now to expose that are limitless. And I feel like we have shown that. And I really truly do believe that it, it is our generation that can end the cover up culture that yeah. has, that was started, created, and has existed for the past 30 plus years. And it went on for so long because people didn't have the resources to be able to say, or were too scared to speak up. And now even, I mean, we just started with social media. That's all it took was just saying, Hey, this happened to me and I'm not happy about it. And then, you know, pressing charges and filing lawsuits and then moving forward with a documentary. There's literally no excuse why you can't pick up the damn phone and call 911 when there is an abuse case and or that there is some kind of essay that happens in your church or school or whatever it might be that is literally the bare minimum that we are asking you to do and so i feel like we really have put it on like a high alert of like this is not this is not going to be tolerated anymore and i that is my hope is that there's not going to be any more crazy scandalous stories coming out of, you know, this pastor switched so-and-so over to here and blah, blah, blah. I hope we scared them. I hope we scared them enough to not ever want to do something like that again so that the abuse is prevented. It ends. It is put to a stop right there and that predators and child molesters and all of them they don't feel confident in a church anymore because they have felt confident for decades. (laughs) And I really hope that by what we did, it's putting at least let's put some fear in the predator for once in our life, instead of making them feel at home and happy, like they know they're going to get away with it. And I, that is a huge goal of mine from this is that cover up culture can come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, even just recently, a lot of these pastors have the IFB, you know, it's their own little kingdoms. They think they can get into a pulpit and say whatever they want. Um, They can cover, you know, and nobody's going to say anything about it or push back about it. But I mean, even with Rachel, with the pastor who said what he said, I mean, that went on the internet and immediately it's being shared across platforms. And I mean, just recently, um, you know, Bruce Goddard gets up and says, Hey, you know, this is a book from who was it? Greg Neal. And, but you can immediately, all that information's on the internet. You can say he is now supporting this pastor who has done this and this. 
I just love that the internet is forever, especially in this case, because all that information, it's, it's out there. And I love that you can just type in these pastors' names now and underneath you see a documentary, you see arrest records, you see all this stuff. And back when my parents went to Faith Baptist, there was nothing like that. Yeah. You just, you kind of hoped for the best and thought, uh, hopefully this place is what they're portraying it to be. But now with the internet and social media, it's out there. And I hope people, you know, even from this, I've had people reach out. I hope people are just looking more now in, in past what the pastor says and to actually what has happened and what um, the actions that go on and do their due diligence on these places. And I really hope that has shown people like you can't just walk into a church and trust that it's a safe place simply because it's a church Mm -hmm. that you need to look and see who, who's this pastor supporting? Um, What's the history with this church? You know, um, who's come through here and where have they gone? And so I really hope with this documentary that is exposing, um, I think it's happened with the Catholic Church. I think it's happened recently with the Mormon Church. And I think IFB and these Baptist churches are having their own reckoning of like, you know, this information's out there and it's out there forever. And people are going to hopefully be safer because of it. Yeah. Information is power. It really is. And I, I mean, I look at that as a kid. I don't know. I mean, we grew up in IFB. It's so tightly controlled. But I did get to a point in my early 20s where I was looking. I I didn't know what to look for. And I'm trying to type in like just to find something. And if something would have popped up like this documentary, I honestly believe it would have been life changing. Because for a very long time, I felt like I was the only one. Like I didn't have anybody else to connect to. And later on, it was through social media that I began to connect to people and hear their stories. And by then I was a much older adult, but that finding those communities really helped me talk more about what happened to me and also begin to heal because there is really empowerment in community, a community of like, like like-minded people and also survivors that, you know, you're able to support each other and help each other. So, yeah. Definitely. Well, this has been really fun. I mean, dark, sad, and fun. (laughs) The best. (laughs) The trauma trifecta. Um, (laughs) There we go. um, But one question that I ask all guests that come on this podcast is for a final girl song. And if you don't know, a final girl is a horror trope. We're usually in a slasher movie, the last girl standing that defeats the killer is called the final girl and i mean i can't think of a more fitting thing for both of you you guys really stared down evil and won like you're standing you're the final girls yay (laughs) no but we are (laughs) so what are your songs What's playing for you in this horror movie of your life when you are standing there bloody holding the knife? Like, what is your song that's playing? So this song really resonated with me. Um, I chose Yellow Flicker Beat by Lord. Um, first of all, love Lord. Second of all, it is the closing song at the end of Catching Fire um, Hunger Games. And I pull a lot of inspiration from Katniss Everdeen and her ability to be a total badass. And I'm like, I want to be a total badass. And there's a line in that song, um, which you should listen to because it's an incredible song. And it goes, um, and I made a little prison and I'm locking up everyone who ever laid a finger on me. I'm done with it. This is the start of how it all ends. And that is my final girl song. (laughs) Fitting. What's your song, April? Man. So I like, I picked pink just like fire because I like pink and I think she's kind of like a badass person. So I don't know. I like her. So that's what I picked. I like that. I like pink's energy. I know. Yeah. She has good energy. Yeah. I didn't know if I had to pick a girl song because uh, you know me, I only listen to like, remember my, my list. What was it last year? My wrap up list from your Spotify wrapped. Yeah. My Spotify wrap was like seven songs. (laughs) 
They're like, you need help. <laughs> They're like, you alone are keeping these artists in business, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I thought I would branch out, branch out from that. So yeah. But no, I like pink. I think it's a good pick. Where can people find you online if they are interested in checking out your, your social media? I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Rachel Peach. And stream Let Us Pray on HBO Max. Yes. <laughs> I'm on um, uh, Instagram, what the heck, April Avila, and then on Facebook, just April Heck. Well, thank you guys so much for <laughs> taking time out of your evening to come talk to me. I I know this is like not the usual audience for this, but I I really want more eyes on this. Like as many eyes as can be on this documentary, as much as we can spread the word, like just everyone doing their part to scream about it far and wide. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, Steph. We appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast posting episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Instagram and threads and TikTok at Books in the Freezer or send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. You can also check out show notes for this episode and all previous episodes at booksinthefreezer.com. Also remember to stream Let Us Pray on Max. I'm Stephanie. Thank you for listening. And see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Mm-hmm.